Well, good evening and welcome to a uh, uh, time of study this evening, just uh, from the book of 1 John, uh, Central Baptist uh, Bible study as we uh, just gather together, desiring to know more and more of what God has preserved for us and uh, that which we could benefit from. And so 1 John tonight, and we're still in chapter 1, and going to be considering this evening from verse 5 to verse 10. And so do follow with me in your Bible. I'm going to read the passage first tonight, then we're going to pray, and then proceed uh, with the study uh, thereafter. So this is John writing, and he has introduced him uh, the, the book already, or introduced his topic, and then he moves on. He says, verse 5, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you. That God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Just so far, uh, God's word, please bow with me as we just commit this time to him. Dear Father, once again, we do pray that as we seek to understand and just discuss and unpack uh, the scriptures that are before us, Lord, that you would use this word in our lives. Do you remember the words uh, in Jeremiah describing your word as hammer and a fire? And Lord, sometimes we confess, I confess my own heart can be so hard. And uh, asking that as a word, as your word goes forth tonight, it would bring about, uh, Lord, a breaking down of hardness or coldness, uh, to bring about tenderness of heart toward you, and Lord, uh, warmth of intimacy in our relationship with you. So we pray for each other, Lord, again, different circumstances, uh, different uh, challenges that we, we face as we gather together, but Lord, we thank you that we have one Lord Jesus, uh, Father, the Son, and the Spirit that we look to and worship and even coming this evening uh, to this time, uh, seeking your favor and your face turned toward us. And so we pray this, Lord, that you would be exalted, that your church would be edified. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I don't know if you've given much thought to what it is that you would consider to be the most important thing to take away from any given ministry. So if you've been at Central for a year or maybe 10 or 20, 30 years, and you were to move away, uh, what, what is it? What is it that you think most important to take away from the ministry uh, at Central? And I want to suggest to you tonight, in fact, more than suggest, I want to tell you tonight, surely it must be the reality that you know God. Uh, perhaps you came to Central knowing God and, 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 and therefore over these years you've been able to grow in, in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus. But perhaps you did, uh, you did not come as someone who knew God, but you've come to know Him. 
and perhaps even someone out there tonight not knowing God, and and therefore the the importance of urging this important reality on you, and something I hope that you're going to see in and from this passage uh, tonight. Just the importance, the crucial importance of knowing God. Want us to think about uh, the context that John is writing in, and uh, the context in which he has uh, been living uh, uh, in as well, and and we could describe them as a generation who knew Jesus in the flesh. We saw that in the previous verses; they were able to see and to hear and to touch. Uh, the reality of, of, of Jesus being with them. They knew him. We could even expand that statement by saying that they were, they were friends with God in the flesh. God incarnate. John with the other apostles and, and others who lived in that first century. Uh, Jesus lived among them. And and they were people, there, there were these uh, groups of people, these disciples and others that connected uh, with Jesus and, and remembering Jesus as being God incarnate. Well, John talks about this incredible privilege, uh, this fellowship, this, this joy that, that they were able to experience. And uh, perhaps if you just think back to last week or look back to the third verse, he says there, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard. In other words, he's saying to them, you need also to hear what we have seen. And, and, and because of that, you don't need to be excluded from this fellowship, this knowledge, this experience of knowing God. We're telling you this, he says, as he continues in the passage, so that you also may have fellowship with us. You're included in this community of faith. And, and our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And so as we continue on this theme of uh, assurance of salvation, uh, wanting to repeat again tonight, there is absolutely no need for you, for anyone else to be unsure or confused about your fellowship with God. You may be included uh, amongst those who really know God. And so tonight, uh, wanting to explore that issue. And it will be an issue that is repeated throughout the book. But I want us to see here that, yes, we, we may not, including me, we were certainly not amongst those who physically heard him or physically saw him or were able physically to touch him. But the reality is we too can know him. And I know some of you do, many of you do know him. And, and, and maybe just needing a reminder tonight. Uh, you can be confident, and it's the right kind of confidence. You can leave this study tonight uh, confident about your friendship uh, with God. Now, that being the case, I have three points tonight, and uh, uh, trying to analyze this passage to try and help us remember it. 
And there are a number of things as I entitled this passage, I said there are some things you need to know. And in the light of those things, there is a confidence, there is an assurance that you can go forward in, in terms of your relationship with God. So firstly, the very first thing that you do need to know, and from this passage, you need to know something about God. Very, very important. Uh, God needs to be understood, and we're going to look at, be looking at one very specific aspect of how John describes God. Now, the need to know, and I did a stupid illustration perhaps, but this morning uh, I got a phone call from my son and, and he said to me, Dad, I'm just phoning you, there, there's been an accident, there was an incident on Linwood Road and, and there's diesel all over the road and I'm phoning you because I believe you need to know, you need to know that there's diesel on the road, it's drizzling, you can easily slip and you can be involved in an accident. So he was concerned for my well-being driving down Linwood Road over a diesel spill. Well, what he didn't know, but I did tell him then, that I'd already been past Linwood Road. And, and to get uh, past that particular place, uh, Shelley and I had to wait quite a while because somebody else didn't know that there was a diesel spill and there was a crash, quite a bad crash, with three buckies who obviously had been slipping and sliding and ended up colliding with each other. And, and so uh, making the point from this illustration, some things are important to know. This issue uh, that, that John is uh, raising here tonight about something you need to know about God is crucial because it has consequences, life and death. It, it has eternity consequences that follow. So in this particular instance, this something that you need to know about God, especially if you are seriously interested in having assurance and also being sure of your fellowship with him. Have a look at verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. So they are relaying, or John is relaying to his readers the objective truth that Jesus had taught them, that they had witnessed, that they'd seen uh, about and from Jesus. And here's the point. God is light. That's what you need to know. I need to know that. Never forget the fact that God is light. And then he adds an explanation. In him there is no darkness at all. You need to know. I need to know. We all need to know. The world needs to know that God is light because that fact about God has bearing on our relationship or not having a relationship with him. So the metaphor of light is a fairly common uh, word used in the Bible and, and it is an appropriate description analogy of uh, image of God. And there are two headings that I'd like to just uh, elaborate on as I think about the statement, and I want us to think about the statement that God is light. The first one is, if God is light, that means that God is not silent and hidden. We know that he is the source of all revelation about himself, where, again, to use some of the 
uh, phrases from scripture where we understand light to be truth and darkness to be ignorance or error. And so God is the one who reveals the truth. God is the one who sets aside error. And so it is in the nature of, of, of his disclosure of who he is and what he's like that he is light. Shines the light even in his relationship to his creation. We read in Psalm 27 verse 1, The Lord is my light and my salvation, providing the revelation, the direction, and ultimately the rescue from sin. Or Psalm 36 verse 9, addressing God, For, for with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. Now, we even use the phrase, I think, from time to time, finding a difficult problem, perhaps in arithmetic or mathematics, and you don't understand it, you don't understand it, you don't understand it, you keep trying, and then somebody comes along and they uh, explain simply and properly, and suddenly you think to yourself, the lights have come on. There's disclosure, there's understanding, and that's something of the sense that we need to get with regard to God being light. Uh, God reveals himself. The light points to God uh, being the supreme intelligence. God is not one to need or receive counsel. He's ultimate in excellence in in that he's the uh, undiluted light. Is the one uh, that provides light at the end of the tunnel. And so therefore we can speak about hope and, and vision and growth. And then not to forget that light exposes that which is hidden. And we see in Psalm 139 verse 12, Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. In other words, God knows all things. And so we see that God is not silent and hidden. And then a second aspect that we uh, can consider with regard to uh, God described as light is that God is holy and majestic. So just thinking of uh, the splendor of God uh, described by the psalmist and including the words again, something about light and 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 we 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 even as human beings uh, love to be in places where there's a display of light uh, those of us who live in pretoria we all know at the end of the year in december you drive down lawley street and the reason is because we want to see the christmas lights a magnificent display of light and so the psalmist captures something of this in psalm 104 he says praise the lord O my soul O lord my god you are very great You are clothed with splendor and majesty. And then he describes. He wraps himself in light as with a garment. The majesty, the magnificence, the glory of God. He stretches out the heavens like a tent. But alongside of the majesty and the glory, we need to also understand because of of light uh, being truth and light uh, dispelling error, it means that Morally speaking, light is purity and darkness is evil. So in Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 20, we read there uh, the prophet uh, speaking to the people of Judah. uh, They have become morally 
perverse. We think that it's only 2021 where the world seems to be uh, rushing down the drain. Well, back in Isaiah's day, the people too were uh, almost crushing each other to get down uh, into the gutter. And so they were morally perverse. And, and, and he describes them like this. It sounds like 2021. They call evil good and good evil. They put darkness for light and light for darkness. But God is light. And so the light of God, we need to understand, is a description of his holiness, his undiluted uh, moral excellence, uh, him being completely and utterly uncorrupted. In fact, confirmed in our passage by John, the negative statement, in him, in God, because God is light, in him there is no darkness at all. God is good. It's not bad. There's no uh, evil in God. Uh, God is holy. He's not sinful. Now, if you think about some of the Eastern religions, and, and I'm sure you've come across this uh, symbol. I think it's called the yin-yang. I'm looking at Jamie. Have I got that right? Okay, yin-yang. Uh, they, they, they kind of mix the, some good and some evil. And In fact, I heard a very interesting comment from a lady that was a missionary in India this morning. And, and, and she was saying that to do gospel ministry in India was very difficult because uh, they don't have a concept of, of repentance. And so if you come and, and you show love and kindness and, and they, 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 they recognize in you that you're trying to do good things, their understanding of people who do, who do good things is that they're doing good things to uh, uh, compensate for the bad things that they've done. So in other words, the, the, the better you are, the worse you've been or the worst things you've done. And so, so there's this mix in Eastern religion of, of good and bad. God is not like that. God is light. Cannot uh, mix uh, good and evil uh, with God. Uh, totally and absolutely holy. Totally and completely opposed to all that is sinful and false. You cannot ever neglect or forget this truth about God. God is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. So let me sum this thing up. In the same way that in uh, nature, in the nature of light, uh, it is to shine. So it is in the nature of God to reveal himself. He does so unmistaken, unmistakenly as, as one who is perfect in purity, infinite in holiness, indescribable majesty, and he's all-knowing. That's what you need to know about God. This is who you and I and all people on this earth have to deal with. If we're talking about fellowship, we need to understand that, that God is light. And remember last week I made the comment that, that John uses the word fellowship and it can be understood in the sense of a synonym for salvation. So if you're concerned about salvation, if you're concerned about your eternal security, you cannot neglect the reality, uh, 2021 people, that God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. Well, that's number one. Now I want to move on to the rest of the passage. 
and or most of the rest of the passage. And, and secondly, you need to know something about yourself. So we have some idea now about who God is and what he's like. Well, if in the last point we were challenged to think rightly about God, in this next section, these next couple of verses, John is challenging us, challenging us very directly to avoid wrong thinking about ourselves, wrong believing. And, 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 and as we will see as I go through these verses very quickly, you're going to be seeing here that deception is rough. The possibility of deception amongst people is, is rough. So if you're talking about assurance of salvation, if you want to consider about the, the reality of knowing God, you've got to know something important about God. God is light. You've got to know something important about yourself. Well, John raises in this instance, and, and we'll get to, you'll see along the way what he's, the point he's trying to make, but he raises what I would call three defective views uh, that people claim to be true about themselves. In other words, they have a wrong understanding. They have a wrong perception. Uh, of themselves and and it is possible it is possible that any one of us could be deceived could be uh, could have been taught incorrectly by somebody uh, by somebody who says uh, i know god and and you can know god and and yet hold the profession that john describes as deception the first one he goes on to speak about a situation where your profession of faith does not match your lifestyle have a look at verse 6. There are those, and I'm just going to give you part of the verse because I want to come back to the rest of the verse just now. Verse 6, there are those who claim to have fellowship with him. In other words, they're saying, I'm a Christian. They're saying, I've got a home in glory land. And yet, walk in darkness. The profession of faith does not match the lifestyle, the daily conduct, the behavior of this particular uh, person. And I've called this particular deception easy believism. There's a lot of easy believism, and we can call it many other things. We can call it cheap grace. Just say a little prayer or uh, believe one or two little things or uh, uh, come to church and, and, and you're a believer and all is fine or, or sign a card or no, 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 no. There is something that which you profess ought to lead to some kind of change in behavior in your life. And so uh, it's deception when any particular mold of thinking doesn't take sin seriously. So these people that John describes, they claim to know God, but their actions didn't show it. And so the, the, the problem is that they fail to, to, to take sin. Now remember what we said about God, God is light. They fail to take sin, which is opposed to the nature of God seriously. So the immoral, the unethical behavior exposes their views of cheap grace or easy grace. No true knowledge of God. They're deceived. And there's a challenge there for any one of us, actually. If any one of us, if it's you, if it's me, 
if we're unconcerned or we are flippant about sin in the daily living of life, if we're unconcerned about uh, that which grieves the heart of God, it's an indication. It may be a strong indication that you don't really know God in fellowship, in relationship, in salvation, because God is light. Well, there's a second deception. Is it possible that any one of us, you or me, could be like those who claim who claim that they'd arrived at a place of what John describes here as a place of sinlessness? Verse um, 8. There are those who claim to be without sin. I've called that deception perfectionism. And there are those... I've come across them in the course of my ministry uh, who believe that since they have become believers, that they have now arrived uh, with a complete eradication of the sinful nature and are sinless. They, they are perfect in their daily walk. And it's a view, again, that is blind to the reality of the remaining marks of sin. It's blind to the reality of the teaching of Scripture that says that there is this ongoing process of sanctification which, which uh, addresses the remaining marks, those spots and wrinkles that, 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 that trouble us along this journey uh, to heaven. We still have those challenges. We still have those blind spots. There is change and, and the behavior is, is definitely and it ought definitely to be moving in, in a more Christ-like way. But, but there still are going to be those, those times and those incidences when we, we fall and, and we fail. Perfectionism. Uh, saying that sin has completely disappeared and that sin does not exist in your life is a deception. Then there are those in verse 10 that John describes and saying that sin was never present. It's never been a problem. That's what they say. And, and so there is this view. There are these people that, that deny the presence of sin completely. Uh, verse 10. Claim that we have not sinned. They're saying that that sin does not exist. Now, this is 21st century. If you want a heading of this deception, it's called humanism. And what does humanism teach? It's a position very, very popular in our own day. It's a position that denies the inherited sinful nature. It's a position that denies any talk or possibility of of original sin uh, brought about uh, by Adam and Eve and our participation in that in terms of the theological understanding of it. So this position denies it. No, we're not sinners. Uh, we, we've never sinned. And, and, and uh, it's a belief that we're born with a clean slate and, and they argue that all negative influence is external or circumstantial rather than a result of a sinful nature. So in other words, if someone's a murderer, it's, it's, it's the mother's fault or the father's fault or it's somebody's uh, uh, bad uh, action or behavior toward that person. So it's, it's, it's other people's doing or it's a circumstantial reality that comes about, that brings about bad behavior. But there's a denial of 
a sinful, a sinful nature. Now, in each one of these instances, and this is where I want to go back to these uh, three deceptions, John responds with words of correction to those who are caught up in easy believism or cheap grace. He says in verse 6, If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. Now, there's quite a direct statement over there. This guy's not beating around the bush. To the perfectionists, those who say that they no longer sin at all. Verse 8, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And then finally to the humanists, he says, if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar. Wow, those are strong words. We make him out to be a liar, that is God, and his word has no place in our lives. So what is it that you need to know about yourself? You need to know, as I need to know, that we are sinful human beings. We struggle. We're born with sin. We have a sinful nature. So we know something about God. God is light. In Him there's no darkness at all. We know something about ourselves. And, and uh, if we quote, quote the Apostle Paul uh, from Romans chapter 3, all have sinned, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so to enjoy fellowship with God, this dilemma of God is light and no darkness can dwell with God or in God and us being sinners, in other words, we're caught up in darkness, we, there seems to be a, a problem that is unresolvable. Well, my third point, and from our passage, third thing that you need to know, you need to know something about God's provision. Since God is light and you and I are contaminated with sin and, and we dwell in darkness, uh, fellowship with God is not going to be automatically in place. It's not going to happen. Sin and darkness will keep us from friendship with God who is light. So sin is the wedge. Sin is the problem that separates us from God. It's the chasm that keeps us from knowing and connecting and having this fellowship with Him. But for God's provision. But notice again, very, very importantly, that He does not overlook or ignore the contamination and the alienation that sin causes. You cannot walk in the light or know the light while you suffer with sin. So he resolves the dilemma by providing a solution. And so I've called the solution God's gift. Wonderful gift in verse 7. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. John is pointing here to what we describe in theological terms, the penal substitutionary atonement of Jesus. Justice is served. The sin is punished. 
One takes the place of another. Jesus takes the place of sinful men and women. He suffers subjected to the wrath of God in the place of sinners. But in doing so, in doing this thing, he secures salvation and freedom from sin. And it's a gift offered to those who would receive it. Greatest gift you can ever receive. The gift of righteousness, enabling you to have fellowship with God who is light. Now some people uh, undermine and, 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 and want to uh, push aside important doctrines like justification by faith. And uh, no, don't do that because that is such a wonderful reality and gift that God provides. Because in this atonement, in this gift, that is secured through the atoning work of Jesus. You know what happens? When you receive that gift, he gives you his righteous record, declares you to be not guilty. But not only does he give you his righteous record, he covers your sin and, and has received the punishment for your sin. So your son, your sin and my sin is credited to him. Great, great exchange, we can call it. So that's the gift. What about your response? Now, unlike these people that John is addressing, instead of denying sin or pretending it does not exist or being blind to the reality of the real presence of sin, just be honest. Humbly admit to God. That's what your response ought to begin with. Humbly admit to God that you fall far short of his holy standards. We see this in Isaiah in chapter 6 when he has this uh, experience in the temple and uh, responds. And his, his first expression in the response is, Woe to me, I'm ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips and I live amongst the people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the king the Lord Almighty, because he saw something of the infinite holiness of God. Himself being a sinner, there's a wedge. But the provision of atonement and the specific response at conversion and thereafter when we do sin and, and, and fail and fall, the well-known verse of 1 John 1 verse 9, if we confess our sin, just acknowledge to God that you are a sinner, that you're in need of His grace, turning from that sin and trusting Jesus for salvation, He will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If you've been present at any church in the course of your life and you've made good friends, uh, perhaps you've enjoyed uh, Sunday worship, uh, the presentation of eloquent sermons. That's all great. But leaving without what John is speaking about in this passage, knowing God, that he is light and in him there is no darkness, that we are sinners and we stand in need of his gift that was secured through the, through the work of Jesus on the cross. Only one thing matters, folk. Only one thing matters. Your standing 
with God. And again, I hope that this message has has encouraged you and, and perhaps even reinforced the reality of, yes, this is true of me. I understand who God is. I understand who I am. I acknowledge my need of the Savior. So God bless you. I trust that you have some discussion with others. I know some groups are still meeting. I do have a couple of questions that uh, will come up on the screen. And uh, please take a a photograph of that and uh, think through these things. And Lord, we pray for that, that you would help us by your spirit, uh, your word as it has come to us tonight, that you would search our hearts by your spirit And we know too, Lord, that you said you would send your Holy Spirit to convict the world of sin, righteousness and judgment. But Lord, leading us to that place of seeing our need of the Savior. And so may every one of us, Lord, exposed to this passage and the study tonight, uh, rejoice in the reality of knowing you because of the work of Jesus, leaning on Jesus uh, for forgiveness of our sin. And so go with us, part us with your blessing, uh, praying that your gracious hand of mercy be upon us. Amen.